Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Azer Podcast, Episode 4. My name is Zach, and very shortly, I will be alongside my co-host, Anna. On today's episode, we will be discussing being a peacemaker, as this episode is titled, You're Invited to Be a Peacemaker. In the first segment, we will talk about peacemaking versus peacekeeping in the biblical sense, In the second segment, we'll be talking about maybe some pitfalls we can find ourselves in that prohibit us from being a peacemaker. And in the third segment, we will be talking about how we can practically work on being a better peacemaker in today's world, in our in our day to day lives. So we're going to talk about all that and more on this episode. We're so excited that you've joined us. Let's get into it. guys, welcome back to the Azer podcast. This is episode four and I am here with my co-host and best friend, Zach Yonko. Welcome, Zach. Hello, everyone. Hey, Anna, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. It is very hot here, but I am excited (laughs) to be able to do some podcasting with you today. I am so excited and happy VJ Day. For any World War II buffs, today marks the uh, anniversary of when the Japanese surrendered to the United States. And so, I mean, if y'all don't know, I'm a World War II (laughs) historian. And so, yeah, just a fun little history fact for you today. I appreciate that. Thank you, Professor Anna. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I was just going to say, if you ever need to know anything historical, Anna's the person to call. I wouldn't say anything because the more I study, the more I realize how much I don't know. That is a very (laughs) humble thing to say. But no, honestly, I'm amazed at how much you you learn and grow within history. So thank you for that. Um, The the war in the Pacific is um, where I tend to spend my most of my time focusing so that's why i brought it up today just had to share that's awesome thank you but anna what are we talking about today what's our what's our topic of conversation so today we are going to be discussing something that is very near and dear to both of our hearts and that is peacemaking we are inviting everybody to join the kingdom of peacemaking and just uh, kind of hashing out what does that mean? What does it look like to be a peacemaker? How does, how does that look practically? What can we do? Uh, what are limitations that can hinder us from having true peace? So, Anna, you're telling me in the Bible... It says to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Is that right? That is correct. So what's the difference between the two? Because I think they're very similar words, but I just by talking to you today, they're very, very different. So I think that a peacemaker is someone who is willing to hash out all of the like just go through the 
like all of the difficulty and hardship that comes Mm. through the reconciliation process like having hard conversations you know going you know learn like letting themselves be in that uncomfortable um in uncomfortable situations and um challenging their own ideas and preconceptions and just doing whatever it takes to Hmm. be able to have restoration and because with that restoration will eventually come peace a peacekeeper on the other hand is someone who is more likely to brush things under the rug you know um i hear a lot um we just all need to be loving to each other we just need to keep the peace we just you know and that usually ends up translating to passivity, which is not hmm. what the Bible calls us to do at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like kind of your breakdown of, of those two words, a peacemaker a versus a peacekeeper. It sounds like being a peacemaker, there is actually more peace being made because there's peace inside you and peace around you. But right. it doesn't mean that there won't be friction per se, right? Right. And I think a lot of us tend to um, stray away from peacemaking because we don't like that tension. That's a word that we keep coming back to. But I think it's a really important thing to look at, because as you know, modern 21st century American Christians, we really dislike tension. We do not Mm. like being uncomfortable. And so. Um, we tend to gravitate towards things that um, maybe will alleviate us of that. And, right. um, and so we tend to take out, um, you know, we rewrite it in a passive tense. We rewrite the narrative so that it, it relieves us of responsibility and in that way we can avoid any possible confrontations or any sort of um, turmoil we might encounter as a result of that. And I think that we also forget that I think that we get so caught up in the chaos and in the, in the um, conflict that we don't, Mm. that we, that's, I think that we, you know, we get so focused on, you know, wanting the peace that we're not willing to settle with the conflict first. Hmm. I think you cut out there for just like five seconds. But I I, so I just kind of want to go through that again and unpack that a little more as we kind of start talking about how does this look in a biblical sense? So um, you talk about tension, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't we don't like it. And often when we're trying to peacekeep, we give into that tension. Uh, we want to just steer clear of any sort of disagreement in order to keep everyone happy. But in essence, we're just prolonging the issues at hand. Right. We want shortcuts. We want the peace without the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And And and, we look for any way to cut around that. And I think, I mean, this, I mean, I bet this will resonate with anyone listening within families, friendships, even churches. Um, There's a lot of peacekeeping going on, but not a lot of peacemaking. Mm. Um, So, Anna, biblically, I know we've talked about a few passages in Scripture, and I know Mm -hmm. the word peace comes up a ton 
mm-hmm. in scripture um the hebrew word um that mo- uh, mostly like we associate peace with is of course shalom right. um so anna can you talk about uh, maybe a passage in scripture where peace is being used and we see more of a peacemaking in that mm-hmm. passage rather than a peacekeeping yeah um So, in um, in John, Jesus. I'm sorry, I got all of my notes like, <laughs> all mixed up, so I'm just sorry. That's okay. For, um, so in John, I think many of us will be familiar with this passage, but John 14 verse 27, uh, Jesus says, "Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you." Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Hmm. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I think that we confuse, um, I think we confuse peace with, I think we have a misunderstanding of what that actually means. It's not just, it's not really absence of chaos, right? But it's more of a calmness within that chaos. And I looked up in my concordance, the definition of that word, it's number uh, 1515, if you're using Strong's concordance in the Greek. Um, And what I really like about one of the possible definitions for this word is at one again, like Jesus is trying to make us one, like he's making us he's giving us rest so you can be like mid panic attack right like for example like say it's mental turmoil like you can still have peace within that turmoil within that chaos and and I think that we just think like our American selves confuse that for just an absence of trouble you know, and we just think that it means there's nothing wrong. Everything is going fine. And that's not what really Jesus is talking about here. Because if you notice, he says, um, not as the world gives, do I give to you. And the world wants to give us this peace that does not have conflict. Yeah. And, that, and, that's, and Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm here to give you. That's really good. Yeah. It's, it's almost like mask it's a, it's an appearance of something that we desire but it's not the full picture it's it's just a a false portion uh that the world gives and um i know i personally struggle a lot with what how jesus defines it out because i don't like to do the work of mm. um being a peacemaker um and and i think that's why often uh, when I look at the scriptures, it's so challenging is mm-hmm. because there is work involved. Um, right. So, um, but, but in the, in the end, um, when you talk about the desire of Jesus uh, telling us to be peacemakers, it, it is to achieve this um, spiritual unity with mm-hmm. other people. Um, and, uh, I just think that is the culmination of the scriptures is uh, to unify, not to uh, kind of destroy us. It's, it's to invite, it's an invitation. 
which goes along perfectly with our series that we're doing right now. Um, mm-hmm. Peace, ma- making peace is hard, but the end product is an, a wonderful, beautiful invitation. I mean, that's really like anything, right? Like getting a degree, it's a lot of hard, grueling work, but the payoff is worth it. It's like right. um, working out, you know, going to the gym every day. It's like a slow, gradual process. You don't see a six pack immediately. Like you, your, your right. biceps don't grow overnight. It's a slow process and it's really hard. Like some days you wake up and you just don't have the motivation. You don't have the strength to to do it but you know you find something in you that you know compels you to get up and do it anyway and put in that work and then eventually you get to see the payoff of it right right now Anna I we're going to take a short break here but when we come back I want to continue that kind of idea of things that might prohibit us from being peacemakers because if God desires this what are maybe some setbacks that we could have in our life Uh, to achieve being a peacemaker. So we're going to talk about that right when we come back after this quick interlude. So stick around with us. So this idea that God desires for us to be a peacemaker, um, I think just naturally we should first talk about what prohibits us from being a peacemaker before talking about how can we work on becoming a better peacemaker. So, uh, Anna, what do you think is one of the biggest, uh, roadblocks for us to get to a point of being a peacemaker? Well, I think, I think one of the things, you know, just what we talked about in our first segment there was we just have the wrong definition of peace. And we, we confuse peacemaking with peacekeeping. And so that really, what it really, what that really does is it just sidelines us, you know, because we Hmm. then miss out on opportunities where we could be taking action and we're just taking a seat on the bench instead and saying, you know, like this doesn't need to, this doesn't need to be a discussion. So I think that that's one thing. Um, And we already talked about that, so I'm not going to go into that (laughs) anymore. But um, you and I were talking about, um, uh, you had mentioned idolatry. And we had talked about this passage in, um, I believe it was Luke. Might have been Matthew. I think you got the the verse from Matthew and I got the passage from Luke. Um, but when Jesus talks about taking the log out of your own eye, um, I'd just like to read that passage and you give me your, your thoughts on it. Sure. Um, he told the parable, he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Hmm. You hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Yeah, I 
really, really like this passage. It shows up in, of course, the Gospel of Matthew as well. Um, I think in this, we always look at this passage as a uh, passage that pretty much talks about how do we firstly get to a place of uh, being able to judge. I think that's a part of this. But I think the key focus is, is on self-reflections. Um, mm. uh, something that, um, Anna, you and I talked about on one of our phone conversations off of this podcast was um, something I truly, truly believe is a lot of judgment and a lot of things that prohibit us from being a peacemaker mm-hmm. is that um, we often judge and become apathetic with peacemaking when because we have a blind idol in our mm. life um so we have something in our life that is prohibiting us from becoming a peacemaker while also inducing us into uh blind judgment towards mm. someone so we're not willing to recognize the log or the plank as some translations say in our own life um, and those can be tangible things and intangible things. And that's something that I talked about actually during a recent sermon that I gave um, at the church I pastor at. Um, it's very easy to see the tangible things because we can see them, we can touch them, but it's really difficult to see the intangible ones, the things we cannot touch, the things that um, might be like a belief, uh, might be a thought process might be uh, our own, you know, intro voice in our head that we're trying to discern through. Could be um, stereotypes, even. Could be stereotypes. Yeah, stereotypes. It could be racism. It could be sexism. It could be, mis- you know, misogyny. Mm-hmm. Um, any sort of thing like that prohibits us from being a peacemaker because we're so fixed on a uh, thing in our own life that God does not desire for our life, and we idolize it. So... Um, In this passage, it says, we first have to take that out, which again, takes work. Um, uh, And this is an analogy that I use. Um, And and something, uh, Anna, that we talked about too on our phone conversation is just making a statement that we can all agree on. And one of those statements that we can all agree on is we all want peace. Mm -hmm. We do not want people to suffer. We want peace. We want harmony. But how to get to there sometimes looks different for all of us. So Jesus here in this statement is giving us a way uh, that we can all start to get on that journey of, of being a peacemaker. So, um, uh, so this analogy that I want to share is the gardening analogy that I love to use with people. So we all want peace, but yet we all don't. Oh, I mean, I don't. I don't like to do the work. But what is more beautiful, a garden full of weeds or a a garden full of fruits and vegetables and flowers? Well, obviously, the one that's full of fruits, vegetables and flowers, right? We don't like looking at weeds. But the process of weeding a garden, I don't know if you've ever gardened, Anna, but it's not fun. (laughs) Um, uh, Shout out to New Life Lawn Care. Uh, uh, Bryce, if you're listening, um, rooting weeds out are not fun um it does take work but what you're left with then is a fertile soil right you get rid of the roots of the weeds you're left with fertile soil and from that fertile soil you can plant Mm -hmm. 
So that's the moment we get to a place of being a peacemaker is once we root out all of the stuff that's prohibiting us from moving forward. So once we get the logs and the planks out of our eye, um, we can then have a loving judgment toward brothers Mm. and sisters and pursue peacemaking. Mm. Um, So we're not judging having, you know, idolatry in our life. We are coming from a place of loving judgment. We have fertile Mm. soil. We have a place to garden. Um, So I love that analogy just because um, we can visualize it in our head, especially if we're gardeners. The other analogy that you had used earlier was someone who um, is at home watching American Ninja Warrior and they're saying, oh, I could have made that jump, but they're eating potato chips on their couch. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I just love like that's like that is literally what America is. But you bring up such a good point about judgment because um, uh, there are a couple things that I have to say about this. Um, But the first thing is that I think that there's a difference between um, passing judgment and being judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not yeah. according to a dictionary. I actually haven't looked up the definitions for either of those, but, um, but I think that we, um, like, cause this verse, if you notice, it says, it does not say to not remove the plank in the brother's eye. Right. But that's, right. that's how we read it. And that's always the passage that people point to when they say, you know, we, we shouldn't judge people. Well, no, actually we should because sin is an issue and sometimes sin goes unchecked and it's a problem and it has to be called out. And Jesus, but Jesus tells us how to do that, right? Like this right. is not saying he's just the, the point of this passage is don't be a hypocrite, right? Like right. don't, don't call out your homosexual brother when you are sleeping with your girlfriend, right? Like, Right. Break break that off first before you address the sin in his life. He's not saying, you know, and passing it like we had talked about the Samaritan, um, you know, the 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 parable of the Good Samaritan, where several people had walked by the man on the street, mm. and they had passed a judgment about his condition, but they were being judgmental, right? But the Samaritan walked up noticed that he needed help he needed care he needed medical attention and went and got that for him but he still passed a judgment on him he had to make the assessment that the man was in need of assistance right like that is what passing a judgment is right but he wasn't being judgmental like the other people but the reason i bring this up is because i think that's so often like no one likes to be criticized like none of us really like having our flaws pointed out right it's not that they don't need to be addressed but it just you know it it doesn't feel good when it comes to light but sometimes it's really important to for those things to come out like when we talk about racism or or gender bias or like any kind of injustice it it's really you know sometimes those things need to be brought to the fore because there are underlying issues, there are structural issues, systemic issues that really are not going to go, like you cannot, I think you've used this analogy before, you can't, your doctor can't treat you if your doctor's not aware that there's a problem. Like you have to bring that to their attention first. And, but 
a lot of the backlash that I hear from so many people is we need to not be judgmental. We need to not pass judgments and they confuse the two. But no, we actually do have a responsibility and a biblical precedent for doing that said here by Jesus and Luke. But also Paul says that many times later on, you know, he talks about right. it in Romans to, in the letters to the Corinthians, like, you can't say that there's not a biblical responsibility to call out injustice when it's there. And I right. think that that is a huge stumbling block when right. it comes to peace. Like that is a vital component of and, peacemaking. And I think something too, that we have to remember, um, you know, if someone is not aware of the covenantal uh, partnership of that, when we come at someone with judgment, they might be like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, so um, the delivery of judgment, I, I always, I love putting the word loving judgment uh, mm-hmm. because it requires the process that is um, so defined out in this passage. Um, if we negate the process of loving judgment, we're always going to be hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 I love how you just pointed out that Jesus gives us the guidance and the process in order to come to a place of loving judgment with brothers and sisters. Um, I mean, growing up, I hated to be told I was wrong or there was something wrong in my life. Um, but now, especially as a spouse, um, I've just celebrated my first year of marriage with my wife. Um, there are times where my wife um, and I have conversations that are hard conversations, but needed conversations uh, where she says, you know, points something out in my life uh, because she's around me, you know, for a lot of the day. So it's a process. It is something that we deliver with grace, with truth, with mercy um, and with love, Mm because if there's no love, it doesn't mean anything. Um, so yes, judgment, uh, by definition, we don't like to talk about it. We, we think it's not needed, but sometimes it prohibits us from being a peacemaker. Um, I think to, in order to be a peacemaker, we have to be willing to have hard conversations, sit at a table with people we love who we might not want to have conflict with, but sit there and say, man, I love you to the point where I want to get through this and talk about it. Mm. Um, and that's a lost art with family, uh, families, friends, churches even mm. um, to come to a place of uh, having a conversation and getting to a place of being a peacemaker. Yeah, I love that you bring that up. That's a really good point. But something that is... I mean, we all know it, right? You just, like, if you go on Facebook for five seconds, you just see people bickering, you know? Right. I think that we really do a disservice to to the whole peacemaking process when we get, I mean, we're going to talk about this in our third segment, but the whole Facebook activism, the... The social mm-hmm. media activism, I really think we get caught up in that and we lose sight of practical ways to make change. And we just 
get in these comment wars yeah. and because everybody's fighting to have the last word. And when you're doing that, you're not pursuing justice. You're not pursuing peacemaking in that right. in that sense. And I think that we sort of well, we confuse peacemaking with a lot of things, as I think we've already established. Right. But one of them is um, kind of, you know, like we think that that's what we're out to do. But really, we just want to have an argument. We don't want to have discussions. Right. And, 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 and I think Facebook could be used as a wonderful platform to be able to um, have open discussions. But you got to know that, um, you know, that's kind of what you're getting into with with facebook um but in the end too it's just being able to learn and grow um the best kind of peace the place to get to being a peacemaker is by having one-on-one conversation in my Mm -hmm. opinion right um or if it's with a group being able to get sit together all as a group not have one of the members not there but being able to all be present Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, again, something that prohibits us from being a peacemaker is we don't mm-hmm. want to have one-on-one conversations with people. Um, I'm guilty of that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something I'm trying to get better at. Um, because a lot of Jesus's peacemaking interactions were one-on-one interactions. Um, right. Sure, he preached to masses, but we get these isolated one-on-one conversations with Jesus. No, definitely. And I think that um, another thing that contributes to um, that might be a blind spot for us is, um, oh shoot, I just lost my train of thought. Man, I hate it, when that happens. It happens to all of us. So fortunately, it hasn't happened a lot on the podcast, but there's the first <laughs> time for everything. That's all right, but no, I um. Uh, so we talk about um, uh, you know, what are some ways that kind of what prohibits us from being a peacemaker, and we're going to mm-hmm. transition into our third section, which is how can we get better? What are practical practices we can put into motion and how can we see peacemaking in present day because i think it's so easy to talk about peace biblically but then we look at the chaos kind of around us and and how do we be peacemakers in it so we're going to talk about all that and more in our last segment Uh, so stick around here on the acer podcast All right, Anna. So now we get to the more practical side of things. We talked about what might prohibit us. So now we're going to talk about how to get better, uh, how to be better. How can how have we seen growth in our own life with being a becoming a peacemaker? Uh, so Anna, have you in your own life? Um, how have you seen yourself grow with going from being a peacekeeper to maybe a peacemaker? Well, I, uh, I mean, I mentioned this at the end of the last segment, but um, 
switching from the quote-unquote Facebook activism to actually going out and doing something um, because like honestly when I was just I mean some of you knew me in my <laughs> raging <laughs> days um, if you know me at all I do not do a good job of talking about things without setting everything on fire like I just have a very mm-hmm. passionate personality and it doesn't do me well to sit there and go back and forth with people on Facebook because honestly it just does more harm than good and I rarely convince anybody like neither of us end up convincing each other you know like right no one changes their mind so what I've done is I've just started going out into my community and finding ways to affect change Um, I started you know mentoring refugees who have just moved to Michigan Um, there's a Grand River cleanup in a in next month um, where you can go and you can help I mean we we all complain about climate change and how how the environment is how we don't take care of it right but then we don't actually want to do the work to clean it up we just like to share articles about uh carbon footprints on facebook and (laughs) actually yeah and you know litter and stuff but we don't actually want to do that work so just instead of sharing i mean it's good from time to time to have things to inform people but if you're if your primary purpose is not to inform somebody if it's just to make a point or if it's just to poke a finger at somebody else who you know is going to see it you know if you're just stoking the fire there are a lot more productive things that you can be doing with your time and that's not going to be um peacemaking right yeah. and yeah. so just being active like finding things that you can actually do that are going to help um that are going to help you be the bridge and um fill in those gaps you know yeah, totally. I am right there with you. And I, I first want to just say, Anna, I think it's awesome that you are going out and doing the hard labor work of being a peacemaker. And I know there are certain ways that, um, you know, we can also do our parts of being peacemakers um, in our communities, in our cities, in our towns. Um, So I'm from more of a rural area of Pennsylvania. Um, And of course, too, no matter where you go, you will see Facebook arguments and fights and social media fights. Um, But Anna, uh, something that we talked about in our one of our phone converse, one of many phone conversations, you talked about how um, a way that we can become a peacemaker better is by listening to the stories of people around us. Uh, people right. who have had life experiences that we might not have have mm-hmm. or different life experiences that we might have some similarities to. Um, and uh, you shared with me an Instagram video mm-hmm. a couple months ago where this um, individual said, um, we, I believe it was John Whitaker who said this. If you guys don't follow him, you should. Yeah, it was an awesome video, and he made the point that we are not best friends <laughs> with individuals who might be a platform for us to argue with, right? Right. 
so this this video, if you guys haven't seen it, by John Whitaker, um, was talking. Um, this was shortly after a lot of. Um, I think it was right after George Floyd. A lot of things had erupted in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and you know, we're not taking a stance on that here. But um, this video was making the point that you know people like you when they say go find a black person to talk to, to hear their story, to hear what their experience has been like. They are not saying find a celebrity like Candace Owens or Morgan Freeman who supports your point of view. They are not your friends. They are, they are Mm -hmm. personalities. Like you need to be talking to your real live friends. And if you don't have a, a black friend in real life, go make one. But you right. need to be hearing the stories of the people that you are actually involved with because because they're real and they matter. And that's going and it's probably going to challenge you because it will make you more aware of what's going on. Like, oh, wow, that happened like two blocks away from me. Right. You know, because we, we get so encircled in our in our like we like to live in these little bubbles and we don't we aren't fully aware of everything that's going around us all the time and that's why that's why having these conversations is so vital to the peacemaking process because you can't fix something you don't know is broken absolutely there's like a there's a saying about that somewhere but yeah yeah. and um i think too it's um we often turn things into a a you know, one side or other side argument. You're either yeah. on this side or you're on this side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was getting lunch with a, a friend of mine named Alex Tannenbaum, who was a student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And something that he brought to my attention is the art of nuancing things to be able and and if you don't know what the word nuance means it just means breaking it down into several other camps so we can see more similarities that we have than differences Mm -hmm. because say i'm on the black side and one person's on the white side right Mm -hmm. from that point on we oppose each other but if we nuance it out and we see we're actually closer than farther away Mm -hmm. we can start to understand each other's sides better um, and, and I think that's the thing is we turn things into a black or white issue. Um, mm. But if we nuance it or break it down more, we can agree with principles. We can agree with sayings. We don't have to agree with maybe political stances or things like that. Um, so, you know, saying phrases like, um, you know, uh, I, you know, supporting this person or, or that person, we really break it down more to see like, hey, we're, we're actually agreeing on this than disagreeing. And um, we start to see just how alike we are than different, mm-hmm. uh, which in the end uh, creates more unitive conversations than destructive I don't know if that came out right or, or you understood what I was get, trying to get at. I, I'm trying to process it through my head. No, you made perfect sense. And that was a really great point. And I, I think really one thing um, that really affects 
this discussion and the polarization is the use of labels. Right. Right. Because everyone at the end of the day is trying to find their camp. Like they don't want to, they want to know if they can trust you or not right off the bat. They don't want to do the work and use, they don't want to flex their discernment muscles. You know, they don't, they don't want to try to figure out like, they don't want to have that conversation. If you say, I really liked Barack Obama. They are going, if they, if they are a hardcore Trump fan, they are not going to listen to another word that you say. Right. And if they say, I like Trump, like we just think, oh, you know, like we either think, oh yes, or we think that's terrible. But like, what do you like about Trump? Do you like his economic policies? Do you like his foreign affairs policies? Do you like his, you know, whatever. Right. There is so much there and we just, we like to make it black and white. You're either this or you're that. And if you're if you're not this, then you are not in my camp and I cannot trust you. I cannot talk to you. And we right. write people off. And I think that the use of labels in that way is so decisive. And the other point that I was going to, I think you and I had briefly talked about in our phone conversation, I think that this plays a huge Well, it kind of just dovetails off of that, but um, recognizing who is really on our team, Mm. like recognizing that we are all on the same team, right? Because we are on God's team. So it's not Democrat versus Republican. It is. Well, I I realized that this conversation about peacemaking got very political and we made it all about that. This like applies to any aspect of life like personal religious like you know whatever but um it just reminded me of that article that i wrote for your newsletter a few months ago where i talked about who our enemy is and um, Mm -hmm. had brought out um second corinthians 10 verses three through six for although we live according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And he, hmm. he talks about warfare, like this is a spiritual warfare, and Satan knows exactly what divides us. And so we need to be very vigilant and recognize that our democratic neighbors are not our enemies, right? Our charismatic family members, our Calvinist brethren, like those people are not our enemies. Like your husband who, you know, did whatever, who's not your enemy. Like we are all united in the same body and we need to stop treating each other as the enemy and recognize we are partners. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with each other. And we have a real end. You still there? You still there, Anna? Yeah. Did you hear me? Did I cut out? <laughs> yeah, you cut out for like five seconds at the very end. Oh, someone someone called me, and I didn't realize my phone wasn't on. Do not disturb. <laughs> but no, you you were saying that like our enemies are sometimes not the people who we think are our enemies. Our enemies sometimes are the invisible forces. Right. Or most definitely the invisible forces um, that have strongholds on certain aspects of our life. Um, and I, I think that's sometimes difficult. Um, we do have emotions. We, we will get upset. We will get hurt. 
But at the end of the day, um, I think the very, you know, famous saying is our war is not with flesh and blood. Um, so we need to understand that um, to, a, to a very sobering degree, um, which is really difficult. Um, we have to be open to having conversations. We have to be open to um, also being able to hold on to conviction while also not demonizing humans, mm -hmm. uh, which is very, very difficult. Um, so like a strong conviction of mine is, is just the sanctity of life. But at the same time, if I've never talked to someone who has gone through a hardship with um, relationships or um, mental illness, then my worldview of the sanctity of life um, might be very, very narrow based on not having um, interactions with people who have gone through things that I have never even remotely gone through. Mm. Um, so it's a humbling experience to be able to um, learn to be a better peacemaker by expanding the community around us. Mm. That's a really good point. And just going off of that record, like remembering biblical principles and letting them guide us. Right. Um, so for example, like the biblical idea of justice, right. We were talking about how so uh, it's used you said 28 times, according to the King James. Right. And, you know, there are so many places when it's used, it's preceded with the verb do. Like, it's an action that you do. It's not passive. And I think so many times we take biblical principles like that and we rewrite it to fit a passive narrative, which is, you know, I mentioned in the first segment, but it's so true. And. So often I hear from people like they, they will, if you don't line up with their idea of what it actually looks like practically, they shut you down and they say, oh, we need mm. to speak peace and love. Well, you know, calling out injustice is loving and it is going to bring peace. But your idea of peace and love is just oh, you look so nice today. Like, you're just such a great person. Like, we just have such a flowery view of speaking peace and truth and love. And we forget that there's an action and we get silenced so much of the time right. by people who rewrite these biblical principles and take out and they remove the action from it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh it's, I love what you said. Sometimes it could sound so flowery, flowery when we take out the actual principle of it. Um, because I know for myself, um, I am not a person who enjoys conflict mm -hmm. or a person who enjoys confrontation with people uh, because I don't like, uh, I think one of the big things, I don't like to not be heard and I also don't like to feel like I have to 100% of the time agree with the person that I'm having a conversation with. Um, but if I know if I'm going into a conversation with someone that I may disagree with, but they bring their point across in a way that I'm like, you know what? I can't deny that. Mm -hmm. um, there's moments of growth within that 
Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I think justice happens, or will happen and is going to happen through the church. The church should head um, moments of being peace uh, makers mm. because in that we have this eternal truth within Jesus Christ. Um, so being an active member within that, not being someone who makes comments from comfortable places is something that we need to be cognizant of, be mindful of, um, because if I'm making noise from a safe space, then obviously I'm not doing the hard work <laughs> because I'm very comfortable in that moment. Um, right. So yeah, it, it's, a, it's the question, you know, am I just being comfortable right now? Can I be a little more uncomfortable and learn and grow right now? And if mm. I can, am I willing to do it? Mm. Um, so yeah, those are just some thoughts that I had um, to kind of, you know, wrap up. How can we practically think about this? Right. And you're so right. And we, we definitely lose sight of the fact that things like justice and peacemaking are biblical ideals that got picked up by the secular movement because the church did not carry its right. weight. The church has been passive and silent for so long. And so it gets, you know, it gets picked up by secular movements like fem feminism, Black Lives Matter, you know, all of these things. And then we have we still have the audacity to say, no, you're not doing that right. You're not, that's not how peacemaking is supposed to look. And so, right, peacemaking right. is supposed to involve Jesus, but if he's removed for the equation, anarchy is what you're left with, right? That's, that's going right. to inevitably happen if Jesus is removed from the equation. But the reason that happened in the first place is because Christians took a back seat. And, and I, and I want to be careful within saying this, but I also want to just kind of say this with being real is we can't hold those people at fault who see something wrong and say, we need to do something. And the church is taking that back seat. Mm. Um, if the church is at the forefront of, of issues and again, is being lovingly judgmental mm -hmm. and also being invitational and having unconditional hospitality, then I, I think that is where the church is lacking in these different movements. We need to have unconditional hospitality for our mm -hmm. brother and sister, no matter who they are. We need to um, be able to have loving judgment, not being judgmental, mm -hmm. right? And, and being able to um, sit down in, with people and be able to say like, hey, how can I help lead? Um, mm -hmm. How can I um, share the peace and love of Jesus Christ uh, where we are? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have gone to different um, uh, areas where, you know, different protests were being held, different... Um, maybe uh, gatherings are being held just to sit down with people, not to go to um, just be a noisy gong, as Paul would say, but to genuinely go down and say like, Hey, how can I listen to you and, and, and uh, be able to share Jesus with you? Um, so it's just a lot of, you know, how can we be better? as Christian believers. Yeah, for but, sure. 
Anna, I just want to thank you for having this conversation today. I know we could probably talk for many more hours on this topic, but um, I want to invite you listeners, if you have any questions, concerns, want to further the conversation with us personally, um, Anna, do you want to give them our email um, and our Instagram handle so they can contact us? Yeah, definitely. Our email is, um, oh shoot, does our email have a the i think that's just the instagram yeah okay so email is azerpodcast at gmail.com uh email us with any thoughts questions concerns things you liked things you didn't like i know that we got well i definitely got more political than i intended to today um but regardless um send me your send me your thoughts you know we'd love to chat with you uh we will be sending out a um uh show notes in our email next week for this episode so stay tuned for that and then um if you would like to follow us on instagram our handle is the azer podcast yeah and i know we emailed out our show notes this past week we just want to thank everyone who's interacting with us that way um, but Anna and I truly believe that everyone is an Azer because everyone is told to put on the armor of God. So let's continue to be image bearers, church. Let's continue to be peacemakers and um, let's learn how to wrestle and grow within these conversations. Anna and I both want to thank you. And we hope to see you here next week on our next conversation on the Azer podcast. See you, everyone. That wraps up our episode for today. We just want to thank you once again for joining us here on the Azer podcast. Again, we just want to say we want to take things from a biblical lens and be able to look outward at the things happening around us. Um, We want to make sure that we are expressing our desire to follow and also wrestle and learn the commands, actions, and teachings of Jesus. Anna and I, again, want to just thank each and every one of you for listening. If you want to connect with us, you can through our email and our Instagram. We would love to continue this conversation with you. Again, our show notes will be out soon. And also be on the lookout for our next episode of the Azer Podcast. Again, we think everyone is an Azer because we are all told to put on the armor of God. We hope you have a great week. God bless. See you here next time.